Hi, welcome to Red Cloaks Radio. I'm Jesse, and we are in Massachusetts counting down to see will they or won't they? Will the Massachusetts legislature pass the Roe Act? And we are having a wonderful conversation tonight with four amazing people. I'm Linda from Indivisible Acton. And I'm Martha from the Boston Red Cloaks. I'm Laura. I'm also with the Boston Red Cloaks, but also with the Advocates for Women's Empowerment, and I have a history working with Women's Health and Planned Parenthood. Awesome. So tonight is Sunday night, and we are wondering if maybe tomorrow the Supreme Court is going to hand down a decision in June Medical Services LLC versus Russo. Um, so I know that's been on all of our minds this weekend and last week as we watched every day to see if the decision is going to come down. So we thought it would be nice to um, hear what's on everyone's minds as we think about what's happening in our state and then what's happening on the national front. So anyone lost any sleep over this? <laughs> I've been asleep, but my stomach's more than not when I think about this and just anxiously waiting to see what they're going to decide and how this could impact so many women. This makes me want to cry and it makes me really angry um, that they're trying to limit access to abortion for women who really want to or need to have an abortion for whatever personal reason they choose. It's maybe the uh, optimist in me, but the, the last two decisions that have been handed down really have given me hope that maybe, maybe they'll, they'll come to their senses and do their research and realize that like in 2016, this is a, um, the, the, the risks outweigh the benefits. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the court composition has changed though since Hellerstadt. So in Texas, for those who haven't followed as closely, in Texas, there's a really similar law um, that basically said doctors have to have admitting privileges with a hospital within a certain geographical distance. And now here, the Supreme Court held that that was not acceptable um, and that the state's interest did not outweigh women's interest in getting access to abortion services. But Louisiana went ahead and passed a law that really on its face looks unconstitutional. You would think the Supreme Court already ruled on this. It's almost the exact same question. But I think it's clear that because Kavanaugh was appointed they are hoping strategically to have lots of different, um, what look un unconstitutional, have different laws in place so they can just keep asking and asking and asking. It's kind of like when your kid keeps asking you, like you said, no candy, but they're like, can I have ice cream? <laughs> no, no, can I have popcorn? Yeah. I'm not trying to make light. No. I feel like the Kavanaugh appointment does change everything. That's what makes me the most worried about this one is thinking the politicization of the court. This is his chance, you know. But it's not only Kavanaugh uh, being in the Supreme Court. It's all the judges that they have been appointed, appointing all the new judges that are so, I would call them outdated. They have all these views of the world that do not work for the modern age and they and people do not understand that we are going to be stuck with these judges for 40 at least or maybe more years i mean uh from what i understand 
it's a lifetime appointment. It's not like they're gonna be gone in five years or 10 years. It's gonna be there for the for their lifetime. So who the next president is, the power to make these appointments to the federal courts, it's really significant in addition to the Supreme Court. Otherwise, these cases wouldn't move up, you know. I heard on the news yesterday that um, uh, the person who resides in the White House has appointed 200 judges at various levels. And that's a lot of judges. And this is why things are going as high. And, and it is surprising that this case got so far to the Supreme Court when a similar case was decided only four years ago. Implying you wanted to go and have an abortion in a clinic, that something could go wrong, and that it's so scary to have an abortion, you better be right near a hospital. When in reality, abortions are safe, and people are able to have abortions in clinics, they don't need to be in a hospital. But they're they're really playing up the idea that um, something could go wrong, and you'd have to be in a hospital. And then they're also using this idea that doctors have to have admitting privileges, but then different states are politicizing the process, so doctors can't get admitting privileges if they perform abortions. So it's really reminds me of the strategy to do gerrymander districts to suppress voters. It's the same kind of like, let's carve out little neighborhoods. And I mean, I'm not an expert at that at all, but it feels like this strategy has um, been very effective. The fact that, that if, uh, if something does go wrong, which doesn't happen very often at all, it's very rare. I think they said, what, like 70,000, um, in the 70,000 um, uh, abortions that have been performed in Louisiana, um, they, four, four people have ever gone to the hospital. And so it doesn't matter you know, if they get home and they have an emergency and they need to go to a hospital, who cares who saw them? They're going to be seen at a hospital regardless. I think the bottom line is it's not about women's safety. It's really about controlling no. women. That's the, yeah. you know, when you go down the path trying to make sense of their arguments, the bottom yeah. line is their arguments have been constructed as an excuse to control women's bodies and to not allow. So I wonder in terms of what Massachusetts legislators are thinking, like, are they losing sleep? Are they understanding that the context of what's happening nationwide really has an impact on women here because you need to have safe havens? Where do you go? If your state is down to one person who can provide an abortion, which if, if this is upheld, that's the reality in Louisiana. There will be one doctor qualified in the entire state. So what will women do? What will teens do? Will they travel out of state? Will they tra travel to that one person? Or will they try to perform an abortion themselves or see someone who is not a doctor? You know, I really, I worry a lot about teens. Right. Absolutely. Just if, just because you make an abortion hard to get for someone that doesn't mean they're not going to go to extremes to try to do them themselves it, this is as, as old as time women have always had abortions when no matter what you know 100 200 years ago this women always have had abortions and just because it becomes illegal doesn't mean that women are going to stop having abortions it'll just mean it's unsafe and people will have will die if the if abortion is illegal that's what happened before 1973 and that's exactly what will happen again yeah i agree i also think there's a stereotype in the 
in the people who are opponents of abortions idea of the woman who has an abortion but let's just take all the women who are already mothers and have children at home and they're working really hard the fact that you would say this woman who finds out for whatever reason she's going to have an abortion she has to either take time off from work she has to travel and someone has to take care of her kids or if she's taking care of other family members maybe she's living with parents or taking care of older relatives it's really crazy and now with covid it feels like it's incredibly crazy er to put that burden on people to have to travel a great distance when it's it's not safe at all so the balance they're supposed to look at is you know about providing safety for women and this is not really about keeping women safe. It, yeah, it's exactly the opposite. Um, I came across a book called The Turnaway Study, um, and I haven't read it yet, but I uh, listened to an interview from the author, and she studied a thousand women over a period of 10 years who either ha were able to have an abortion because they were under the timeline of that particular state that they were in, or they were turned away, hence the turnaway study, um, and they weren't able to have an abortion um, in the state because they were over the, the limit that was required. And um, what I got from the interview was that the women who were turned away it, and had to have, carry the pregnancy to term, um, they led a much different life than they ha would have if they were able to have an abortion. Their whole life trajectory changed. They were more likely to be single mother. Um, they were likely to not have um, access to education. Their job prospects were lower. They're, they were less likely to, or more likely to live in poverty. And it just shows that if a, women, a woman chooses to have an abortion and says, I cannot afford to have a child, they actually mean that. They are not making this up. You know, I actually did also work in a clinic in Boston um, that did abortions, and I talked to women before they had their abortions, and they did not take this lightly. This was something that they stayed up nights thinking about. And when they said, I cannot have a child this time, they meant that. You know, maybe they didn't have a supportive partner. Maybe they were raped. Maybe they knew that they, there was just no way that it could, they could afford to have a baby, they are, another baby, because they already have three kids. Um, so it's all about trusting women and giving women, this is a personal decision, and nobody else should be in that decision. Um, Anti-choice uh, argument about how people do take it lighthearted and like nobody, nobody on the planet wants to have an abortion. Nobody. But but that that choice has to be there for people that need to make that choice because they can't they they can't possibly carry this pregnancy to term. And and it's a tough, tough decision and it's an unpleasant procedure. So what yeah, just to take it so lightly is, is just such a dumb thing to say. Like, we don't know what the holding block is for having the Real Act sit in the Judiciary Committee for over a year now. It's over a year, and we don't know because it's it's closed box. We don't know what they're saying. We don't know if they're even talking about it. They could have talked about it every week and be discussing the language and what they want to change, or maybe they have not talked about it at all. It's such a strange process here. It doesn't feel very, um, it does not invite public 
participation at all. So it's tough what we're, what we're up against. But I do wonder, you know, if they were more transparent about it, we would at least know what they're thinking. What part of the Roe Act is difficult for them to move forward with? And we don't have that kind of insight. Um, but you look at Louisiana and you think that just is so backwards. And then here it feels like you look at the definitions in our state law and those feel really backwards. Because like we were talking about last time, they were written in 1974. And it is right after the Roe decision came down and the legislators here at the time wanted to put their stamp on how they would define abortion. Even. It is, it's also interesting to me the way that, that um, we've been sort of encouraged by different uh, levels of um, people working on this to, to sort of like put it, a, put it away for a little bit because there are bigger fish to fry. They're, you know, oh, we're worried about COVID and, and, and some other things that have, you know, made the news and been terrible. And, and yes, I agree that, that we need to focus on some of these, some of these things, but that they, those things are impacted. COVID has impacted abortion so much, you know, and, and I think about Louisiana, my God, how are these people, they, they right now have to already go 40 miles, now they're going to have to go even further, and with one clinic open, they're, they're going to be too late, they're, they're not going to make it to an appointment, and what is that going to mean for people? Well, and even here in the state where if you have someone delay, if you do the judicial bypass for teens, if they delay, they can go from catching the pregnancy very early, where they can do a medical treatment, right. to having to do something physical, which is just much more of a strain on the woman's body. It's, it's crazy. And then you've got teens who try to induce abortion medically themselves. That's not safe. COVID right. adds this whole extra dimension of women who are victims of domestic violence, who are home and who don't have control there, which is very troubling and also the economic impact of COVID. So someone who maybe would have chosen to have a child, but they're not going to choose it now when they don't have a job. Or how about, you know, the president would like to take away more health care from people. So people, what if, what if you go through the pregnancy and you can't afford the doctor bills? You can't afford to take those, you know, healthy precautions that other people might take. This is tough. That's a good point. Access to birth control has been impacted by COVID, um, as well as access to abortion. And meanwhile, you've got like Tennessee over there passing, <laughs> passing just like Louisiana, Tennessee is just passing this abortion ban at six weeks when most people don't know they're pregnant. And it's, it's yet another state passing something that is on its face, does not meet the constitutional requirements, and they're doing it anyway. There's no exemptions for rape, for incest, and they even like spelled out also foster care. So it really is treating women like property. I have to say, like, I'm, I know it's a slightly different topic, but it's so in the news about mask wearing and you have all these people now who um, are anti-choice who are using my body, my choice slogan about masks. Like, have you seen that? Yeah, I saw the... Uh, in Florida, there were these outrageous uh, pe people saying all these things uh, about not wearing, why they weren't wearing masks. And I thought that all of them were uh, 
crazy, outrageous, out of their mind, not, it's like people who don't want to wear masks are in a cult or are in, they have been, they have had their brains washed. I, I don't know what to think. I mean, it's, it's really crazy. I think this time, these times are getting crazier by the minute. I think you shared, didn't you share that video? I think Martha with the, it was like a hearing. Yeah, it was a hearing. And the most, for me, the most outrageous one was when one of the uh, women said that she doesn't wear uh, underwear or masks because she needs to breathe. And I'm like, that is the most horrible thing you can say in a public place because that's I, I, I don't know that's uh, that's being overly rude I would call it I don't know that there has to be a word in English that I don't know to call what the way she 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 reacted or the way she spoke and there was some uh, another person another woman and she was saying that, why can't we just let the precious breathing system that God created, just let it be? And everybody was going towards uh, religion. And, and that's one of the things that really pulls my, it gets me crazy because they, everybody, thinks that if they take out, if they put religion in their their points, they're gonna, everybody's gonna say, oh yes, you're right, you're right. Or people think, oh yes, we should do this because this is what the Bible says or what the religious leader says. But uh, I mean, that's crazy for me. It's going, it's something that blows my mind. I felt like there were some parallels um, with the part about like God's plan in that in a lot of the, the people who were giving their testimony were saying it's God's plan. So I shouldn't have to wear a mask. And it made me think a lot about people who won't use condoms because they don't want to use any kind of birth control because they feel like it's God's plan. It just, I just felt like there was this echo in there. Instead of a different approach, someone pointed out to me today, when we go to restaurants for public health reasons, it says no shoes, no shirt, no service, right? Like it's not God's plan. You wear your shoes because you don't want to get your feet fungus in the restaurant or whatever is going on with feet. And then you wear your shirt because we're all descended from Puritans in America on some level in terms of our laws. So people do not, you know, you wear your shirt. So wearing a mask, it's a public health issue, but why does religion get dragged in? It's a great question when it's a public health issue. But also this is going back. Everything is, it's kind of like a recycle. I was uh, reading an article that in 18, sorry, 1919, there was a, a coalition of people that didn't want people to wear masks. So that's why 
the flu that was at the beginning of the 20th century. On the second, when it came for the second time, more people died. But it's like, in, in here it's worse because we are not done with the first, uh, with the first uh, surge. We are still on the first, um, nothing has gone. I mean, it's the same thing and people are going with no mask. If the people in the government do not put the example, then how are people gonna follow? Because all these people are followers. So if they see uh, the people in the government with a mask, they will, maybe they would use it. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, this is kind of crazy. Well, I think it's a good it's a good time because it feels like it's about leadership, and I feel like we're looking at legislators in Massachusetts or the governor in Massachusetts. How do they handle a public health crisis? Access to abortion is public health. It is a question of public health, and so how are they going to handle it? So far, you know, they they put a good a lot of co sponsors put a really good law out there, and they have how many days left? Thirty three. Thirty three days left. Like, and we're. We're counting down and we're gonna see if they will or won't. But I will say on what could be the eve of the June medical decision, you know, I'm, I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what my, my mood is. My mood is tense. Yeah, I would say that too. Tense, tense. I feel like I'm really concerned about what this decision will say and what I wish it would say. Let's all say what we wish it would say. What I wish it would say is we already ruled on this in Texas. The reason we took the case is so you would stop bringing cases that are exactly the same, you know, and the law is the law. And we took it to say, what a waste of time and money and resources to relitigate the same thing over and over at this level. Anyone else? I agree. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I'd like them to say, <laughs> I'd like Ruth Bader Ginsburg to say, why did you do this? This is a waste of time. <laughs> and she will say it much more eloquently than I did. And um, that this severely limits a woman's right to have an abortion, which is the law. And it's clearly uh, uh, just a, a way to try to limit and control women and force them to make it as difficult as possible for them to get an abortion, which is their legal right. Well, this is why we wanted to talk. We wanted to talk because we wanted to capture how do real people feel about this because we're all used to hearing um, professional talking heads all the time. But the reality is it has an impact on every single one of us. Well, uh, the last thing I want to say is they're all, they, you're all, People are always saying that the United States is the land of the free and the First Amendment, and you have all these amendments and everybody's saying that it's my freedom to do this and my freedom to do that, and et cetera, et cetera. So you have all these laws. If this is the land of freedom, why don't you give people the freedom to decide? They already know it's good or bad. It's, uh, it serves a purpose for whatever reason. So give the people the freedom to decide. I don't wanna have a baby right now for X, Y, and Z. 
I should have the freedom to decide how and how and why, and it's only between me and if the the man that impregnated you is in the picture. It's between him and you. But normally, when you need an abortion, the man is no longer there. So it's only you. So I, that's one of the the things that I always. Uh, there are all these laws, and they're always flaunting about the freedom of this and the freedom of that. But they wanna tell you, okay, you have the freedom, but you cannot do this. But you cannot. Uh, but you have to ask for permission. I, I understand that people under age need to be to have guidance, but uh, the law is the law. That's one of the things that needs to be clear. The law is the law, and we need to move on. Next, next chapter, next picture, next point. In thirty-three days, or less. Yeah. <laughs> We'll pick up on our next episode, but I do think you named it. This one is definitely called Freedom to Decide. And right now, the Supreme Court, they're the ones who have the freedom to decide the next, the next bit of news. And our legislators. So reach out to your legislators if you're listening and let them know what you want them to do about the relax. And we will see you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody.